Have you ever noticed how inquisitive kids are? Like if you've had, <laughs> that, was very, that was very firm. Is that you, Javi? That was very firm. Um, yeah, if you've had little kids, you know, they are so inquisitive. They, they want to know everything all the time. Like we're just now in our family getting out of that phase, kind of. Um, we still have several questions in our family and it's everything from, um, what are we doing today? Where are we going? How long is it going to take? What's going to happen there? Uh, when's lunch? What is lunch? What's for breakfast? What's for dinner? What's for snack? Can I have a snack? Can I wear this? Can I do this? Can I have that? I mean, all day long. It's this persistent barrage. It's an attack on your mind and your soul as they push in trying to figure out what they're doing. And here's the thing. When they're asking, no kid ever says, oh, okay, thank you, Father. Like, they don't say that. Nobody says that. They never say thank you. They always follow up. There's always another question. And when you answer the question, there's always another one coming. And typically, it's simply a one-word question. Most of you know what it is. Why? Why? Like, it happens in my family all the time. So it'd be like, hey, Daddy, can we go outside? No. Why? Well, because it's dark outside. Why? Well, because the sun went down. Why? Well, because the earth spins and rotates around the sun. And, and as it rotates, the sun goes down. Why? Because that's the way God created it. Why? Because, because he wanted us to have a good world to live in. Why? Because he loves us. Why? I don't really know. I don't understand that. I think we're kind of lame, actually. And so I agree with you. I don't understand why he does that. Why? I don't know. I don't know. That's all the things I know. I have a theology degree, but I have depleted my knowledge on all the subjects. I don't know. Why? Because, because, because I wasn't that good in school. I didn't pay that much attention. Why? I don't know, because I, I was a class clown. I was too busy trying to make the other kids laugh. Why? I think I have a deep-seated insecurity, and I just really needed them to... And then it becomes all existential, right? And, and no matter what you do, as it goes on for hours, it just, it, 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 it grows into this existential argument where you're trying to figure out the meaning of life. And then it goes all abstract on you. And so it ends with, why? Because some things are and some things are not. Right? Have you had that conversation before in your family? You haven't? Are you serious? Oh my gosh, you have to pray for my family. <laughs> okay, anybody else with me on that? Yes. Okay, you're there. All right. So, so it's this crazy thing. And I know as, when you're a parent, uh, it, it seems so frustrating from time to time. But, or actually more often than that. But, but, I, but there's something about this that I really love. Like there's something about this innocent, persistent question, searching out the truth and searching out the answers. I think that maybe there's something that we can learn from it. So we've been in this series that we call On Purpose, Lies That We Believe About Our Potential. And we've been talking about finding and fulfilling our God-given purposes in our lives. And it's really, I think, been an encouraging and incredible series so far. I hope it's been good for you. It's been helpful for me. And, and we've been talking about, we've been starting every, every morning, we've been starting with the story out of Judges 6. We've been talking about the story of Gideon. And Gideon, most of you know, if you've been here the past several weeks, you remember the story. Gideon, the, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites. And they're sweeping in and they're stealing their food and they're ransacking everything. It's a terrible existence for the Israelites. They're, they're oppressed and trying to find 
safety and shelter and refuge. And in Judges 6 and verse 10, we find the angel of the Lord visiting Gideon. And he says, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you've not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero. We've been camping out on those words all these past two weeks because there is nothing about Gideon at this moment that is heroic. The man is hiding so the Midianites can't sweep in and steal what he's doing. So we started talking about last week how something inside of all of us wants to be the hero. Something inside of us wants to be Luke Skywalker or Batman or Wonder Woman or the $6 million man or whatever it is. Something inside of us wants to be the one that does something incredible. And we're talking about how when you were born, you, not just me and not just your neighbor, how when you were born, God infused a bunch of stuff inside of you. And one of the things that he put in there was purpose, a purpose for you to fulfill on the earth. And so, um, so, so it's, it's great, it's powerful, it's an incredible purpose. He wants you to fulfill it. And he's not trying to hide it from you. He's not trying to keep it from you. He wants you to fulfill it. So this angel, he shows up and he says to Gideon, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And God was about to unveil something incredible to Gideon. This guy who was, you might even say he was cowardly. He was hiding out. God shows up and he's going to show a piece of his purpose. He's going to start him on this grand adventure, this journey to becoming who God destined for him to believe to be. So here's what I have to convince you of. I have to convince all of you that this is true of you. That just like God put purpose in Gideon, God has a purpose for you. Just the same way. Just like God showed Gideon his purpose, God wants to show you your purpose as well. He's not interested in hiding it from you. And I think it's important for you to understand these things. Because I've listened to a lot of people through the years who have had a real struggle with trying to figure out who they were supposed to be and how to identify their purpose. And I think what happens is people tend to embrace this lie. They tend to believe the lie that God is making it hard for me to discover my purpose. God's making it difficult. He's teasing me. I just, I want to be clear. God doesn't play games, everybody. <laughs> He's not interested in playing games with you. God's not trying to make it hard for you to figure it out. He's not trying to make you earn everything by jumping through a series of hoops. He's not doing that. That's not how God operates. We did talk about last week how God does, I think, from time to time, hide his will, and he kind of unveils it little by little and piece by piece. We talked about this verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 10. It says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Listen to verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. I think sometimes he does hide his purpose and unveils it little by little. And he may just be doing it to, baff to baffle the plans of the enemy, to thwart what they want to do. 
right? They played right into God's hands. It says none of the rulers of this age understood what he was doing. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have gone through with it. They didn't know what was coming. And so he thwarted their plans. He also wants to ensure that you and I will pursue him, that we'll live in devotion to him, that we'll seek him out for that purpose. We talked about that quite a bit last week. So, so what that means for all of us is that you're going to have to search it out a little bit. You're going to have to search him out a little bit. Luke 11, verse 9 says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus himself said to us, you're going to have to search a little bit. You're going to have to seek this out. Unfortunately, most of us probably don't ask or seek or knock for very long. We, we tend to give up. And it's usually only when there's some sort of crisis that we actually turn to God. Something bad happens. Everything goes wrong. And then we turn to him and say, what are you doing? What, what, are you, what are you trying to do to me? What's going on? What are you thinking? Why is this happening? How am I going to get out of this? What are you up to? What do you want me to do? And then we'll stick to it. We keep asking the questions. Oh God, you got to help. Oh God, you got to rescue me. Oh God, you got to help me through this. We'll keep asking the questions as long as the crisis continues. But then when the crisis tends to end, we just kind of settle back into our same old, same old, and we don't continue to ask or seek or knock anymore. We just go back to the old routines of life. Oswald Chambers, a great theologian, some of you may be familiar with, he said this, there's nothing more difficult than to ask. We will long and desire and crave and suffer, but not until we are at the extreme limit will we ask. A sense of unreality makes us ask. Matthew 7, 8 says, for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This does not mean you will not get if you do not ask. But until you get to the point of asking, you won't receive from God. To receive means you have come into the relationship of a child of God. And now you perceive with intelligent and moral appreciation and spiritual understanding that these things come from God. Jesus tells us a story about this right before he, this idea of asking and seeking and knocking. And he explains what might be, I think, something that we often overlook as, when it comes to searching. So right before that, that section we just read in Luke 11, verse 5, it says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. I love this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. <laughs> he doesn't even get up. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake... <laughs> He's a good friend. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and he will give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Because of your shameless persistence. Because you won't give up. Because you keep seeking. Because you keep knocking, he'll get up out of bed and he will give you what you're asking for. Jesus is trying to get a point across to us. Not that God the Father is laying in bed and saying, go away. That's not the point. The point he's making is, I want you to keep 
coming. I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep seeking and knocking. So in the ancient Middle East, hospitality is a big deal. Somebody shows up to your house, you have nothing for them, you're in trouble. You're going to offend them. So this guy, you, (laughs) plans poorly and shows up to the neighbor's house. Hey man, let me in. No, no, go away. It's midnight. I'm in bed. And this guy, he's totally irritated. The audacity, the audacity of this person who in the story is actually you. The audacity of this person to show up in inopportune timing in these crazy requests. Go get your own food. So he shouts to the door, no, I'm not coming out. But because his friend was bold and he was shamelessly persistent, he gets what he needs. He was bold and shamelessly persistent. See, we're not supposed to just occasionally ask and seek and knock. Oh God, would you? Thanks, bye. We're supposed to continually seek, continually ask, continually knock on the door, continually ask God for purpose and direction, continually seek him and love him and live in devotion to him, continually. Our whole lives are to be about this. We are explorers in the kingdom of God. We're not tourists. We're not walking through saying, oh, healing, click. Oh, look at that. What a lovely service, click. We're not doing that. We're explorers, rooting it out, feeling it out, walking through, discovering new things, asking for new experiences, asking for fresh revelation. We're more like archaeologists. We're not supposed to be taking a tour through the museum. We're supposed to be digging, seeking, looking, looking everywhere to find out who God is and what he wants us to do. Continually digging. See, I think this is what happens. I think a lot of us, we just find prayer to be dull and boring. We think it's just a duty that we have to perform. We think it's just something that's, it's an obligation that we have. Empty and we, versus sock. <laughs> yes, Lord, we're listening. Was that Siri? I think I activated Siri somewhere in somebody's, but it, was, it came from me. Okay, Lord. Your voice is softer than I imagined. <laughs> but it's cool. <laughs> Let's keep going. Um, oh, many of us don't like prayer because scary things happen like that. Um, we, we don't like prayer because we think it's an obligation. And if you're honest, if you're honest with me and with yourself and with one another, you, are, you have this guilt. Most of you have this guilty sense about prayer. I say, hey, let's pray. Or how's your prayer life? And you say, oh, it's not that good. And I'm convinced that it's because you haven't realized the position that you hold as a child of God. You haven't realized who you really are. You haven't fully understood that the God and creator of everything wants to partner with you through his spirit to bring rightness and justice to the earth. You have missed out on that. You don't realize that when you pray, you can actually bend God, that he's, he's in response to you. He moves with you. I'm not talking about open theism where, oh, we don't know. God doesn't know what he's doing and we determine. No, I'm not talking about that. He has a will. He is completely sovereign, but he loves you so much. He wants to interact with you. And you can read stories through scripture where he interacted with people and they prayed and he relented. He wants to work with you. He wants to partner with you. See, when you start to understand this, you understand the love of the Father for you. You understand how much he wants to actually partner with you. Prayer is not boring. Prayer is not dutiful. Prayer is not an obligation. Prayer is a privilege, and I can't wait to do it. If you don't pray, there's no doubt about it. There will be things in your life that won't happen. They won't, because you didn't pray. Or sometimes there will be things that will happen to you that you didn't want to happen to you because 
you aren't praying. Not that God's gonna out to get you or any of that, but that's the way it works. If you do pray though, things that weren't going to happen can start to happen. It's an incredible opportunity that you and I have and it's worth it. It's worth the search and more appropriately, he is worth the search. And then when you start to discover what your purpose is and you see people being touched and changed and transformed by you living in that purpose and you're serving them and taking care of them, the world that you live in starts becoming a better place and God looks at you and he takes pleasure in your obedience and he enjoys what you're doing. It's an incredible spot to be in. That's the goal. So you're thinking, oh yeah, okay, uh, that sounds great. Let's all do that. That sounds good. How? Well, there's no, there's no A, B, C, one, two, three. I am going to give you a few practical things today that maybe will help you f- to f- go further on the journey. What steps do I need to take in order to search for him and for my purpose? From my own experience and, and from just watching other people go through this, I think that the first step is to surrender your will to God. Surrender your will to God. I know what you're thinking. Boo! <laughs> That's not a popular idea in our culture. It's not a popular idea in this culture of independence and, and self-absorption and, and selfies and Facebook and um, Instagram accounts and everybody wanting to be YouTube famous. I know that it's not a popular thing to talk about surrender, but the truth is most of us are kind of like three-year-olds. <laughs> Deep down, we're like three-year-olds and we just kind of live life saying, I can do it myself. I can do it. I will do it myself. I'm going to have my own. Did your kids go through that stage? Here let, me, here, let me help you. I can do it. Okay. Just trying to tie your shoes, bro. Relax. But if you're honest, you do the same thing. God comes along and he says, hey, I want him. I can do it. I can do it. Leave me alone. The cornerstone of finding God-given purpose within you is when you finally get to the place where you know and you believe, you are convinced that God wants what's best for you. You convinced on the inside God knows what's best for you and that he has your best interests in heart. You believe Romans 8, verse 28 and 31. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's another way of saying if God is for us, nobody can. (laughs) That's the point. So because God is for you, because God has your best in mind, Anything that he prepares for you is going to be the very best and it'll be something incredible for every area of your life. But I think usually we get it backwards. Usually we say, well, my purpose is going to be this. I'm going to do this. And now God, you're going to bless it. And I don't think that's the way that it works. I think it's backward. We're missing it and you're missing the plan. You're missing the best plan, his plan for your life. Joshua is a great example of this. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Oh, no big deal. Just two or 3,000 guys. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. <laughs> They got defeated. Verse, jump down to verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among them from their belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. 
For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. So they had done some things that were disobedient. And then they decided, oh, we're just going to get some guys. We're going to go up there and we're going to defeat those guys. And they were soundly defeated. So Joshua and they all just kind of assumed. Oh, we just assumed. God's with us. Everything's going to be okay. Let's make our own plan and let's go do it. Have you ever done that? I did it once. Um, well, once. I've done it lots of times. Um, but one time I remember we, Maria and I, we went on vacation. We went to Florida and we, we, ended, we were looking for a car and we ended up finding this great deal in Florida. So we bought the car and we're driving back with our daughter, Aurora, and she was probably one. And so she's in the back seat and we're driving home and we get to Memphis, Tennessee. Now, this is before the days of GPS. I know some of you can't imagine that day, but many of us can. And so we would go online and we would go to MapQuest and we would type in directions and get sheet after sheet after sheet printed out of directions. And it was very difficult at night. But of course, I'm thinking, <laughs> please, I'm a man. I don't need directions. I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing. I will never stop and ask anyone for directions because that would be ridiculous. I know what I'm doing. We ended up in Memphis about 10, 10 o'clock at night or so, areas of the city that we had no business of being in. And, and we drove around Memphis and all the highways in Memphis for an hour and a half at least. This way, that way, up here, back again. I couldn't get out of Memphis. I was stuck in Memphis, driving around, freaking out because I know I can do it. And finally, we made it out. I thought, I think this is it, Maria, I think this is it. I told you I could do it which is how we usually respond to those kinds of situations. You know, she's been sitting there for two hours, me not being able to do it. But finally, we found the road, and I was like, see, no problem. Uh, and we get on this road, and there's like semis, every, it was like semi-expressway, and there's semis whizzing by my little Toyota Camry, and I'm practically screaming, ah! Ah! because I feel like we're going to die. They're right up on my tail, and it was terrifying. I just knew I could do it, and I failed miserably. We had to pull off at Cracker Barrel and we stayed there for a little while <laughs> and ate chicken fried steak while I recovered from my failure. <laughs> By the way, chicken fried steak really helps you recover from failure. <laughs> Listen, I think, I think that God appreciates our efforts when we say, I want to do something great for you. I think he loves it. I think we should be bold and, and we should step out on things. I think we should do that. But only he knows what's best for us, what the purpose is, and what his plans are for us and for his kingdom. So instead of starting with you, instead of starting with yourself and working out a plan that you're going to ask God to accept, first, we seek whatever God has in mind and we adopt that plan. We say yes to that plan. I'm going to follow that plan, his plan. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on what you can do. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I think this is so important. When you truly surrender your will to God, he's going to help you. He's going to help you distinguish between when he's really speaking to you or when you're just trying to drum some things up and convince yourself of something. We got to go quickly here. The second thing, second step to finding your purpose is perhaps one of the oldest methods in the world. And it's this trial and error. Trial and error. I know, that sounds so encouraging and oh, so very spiritual. You're like, thanks a lot. I feel like I've been doing that for the past 40 years. 
If you're trying to figure out what God has created you to do, this is what I'm trying to get at. Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there on the couch, playing video games, watching Netflix, scrolling Facebook. Don't just sit there and say, oh God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Oh, 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 oh. I guess you get the point. (laughs) Don't just sit there. Get up. Go do something. Get out. Go serve. Go serve with somebody else. Jump in. Roll up your sleeves. Try some different things out. And start serving in cooperation with somebody else's purpose. Start jumping alongside and joining them in what they're doing. As we were preparing for this week, Pastor Russ, he mentioned a book that he read um, in school and in college. It, It talked about on your way to becoming a millionaire, this book was saying, you will actually help several other people become millionaires before you ever do. I was like, thanks, Russ. How's that working out for everybody? <laughs> so far, not so good for me, actually. But the point is, as you, as you jump in and you start serving with people, you help other people fulfill their purpose, eventually you start to discover some things for yourselves. I've met people who have no clear idea about their unique purpose. And I've noticed, though, to figure out what your unique purpose is, you don't have to have your life all together. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to know the details of your future or even the nature of what your purpose is if you're just simply willing to get involved, to just get up and go do something. It's why we talk so much about just jump on team one and find a place to serve. Yeah, we do need people and we need positions and we have to have people serve to make church happen, but I am convinced that it's better for you than it is for me. And so if you're, if you're like, oh, I don't, know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, get on a team and start serving people. Those things will start to uncover themselves. Try some different things out. Jump on some different teams. You'll eventually start to discover what you're drawn to and even start to discover your purpose. Because when you get involved with serving people, regardless of what it is, invariably your eyes are going to be opened first to God and then to the needs that are around you. And God will start putting you in situations and opportunities will begin to arise and they'll start to ring true with your heart. The third thing, third step to discovering purpose is simply become aware of other people's needs. A couple weeks ago, I said, I don't know the specifics of your purpose, but I do know two things. Number one, I know that you have one. You do have a purpose. And also, I know that your purpose is in some way related to other people. It's never about you and your own fame and your own glory and your own business. It's about other people. That's why it's so important that we stay alert to the needs of people around us and be aware of how those needs might spark your imagination and your passions because chances are you're going to be introduced to your purpose through something like that. I learned this from one of our overseers, Chris Hodges. Uh, he's at a church in Alabama called Church of the Highlands and um, he's one of the One Chapel overseers and he told a story about when he was a young man, he, he had a friend whose daughter Uh, had cancer. And so she went to St. Jude's. And so he was praying for them and he was going to visit St. Jude's and he would walk around and see all of those kids in such need and all those families in need. And he'd walk around and pray for them and minister to them. And his heart was expanding for them. And he was thinking, oh my goodness, this might be something. Maybe this is going to be my purpose. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And so as he would kneel and he would pray and ask God, God, is this what I'm doing? God began to morph and shape that thing and form that love and care for people and start to show him a new direction of planting a church in Birmingham, Alabama. And through just the experience of saying yes and taking time to go visit some kids in the hospital, God shaped him and formed him and said, that's good. That's part of it. But here's something that I really want you to do. I want you to plant this church. 
That church today has, I think, over 14 campuses. I think uh, something like 24,000 people, maybe more than that, doing an incredible work in Birmingham, Alabama. Why? Because Chris was willing to just go and notice the needs of other people. And God helped him see the purpose and the plan. It's a great example, I think, of how this works. So I think it's really important before you turn down any invitation, hey, come help with the VFW. Hey, come and serve. Hey, come and do this. Hey, go to this school. Hey, go and do that. Hey, be on team one. Hey, serve some people. Don't say, nah, that's not for me. Just say yes. Go find out and open your eyes to what God is doing around you. The fourth step, final one for discovering your purpose is understanding that, and I think this is a big idea, your purpose could be related to the pain and suffering that you've experienced in your life. It's a pretty big idea. Oftentimes your purpose is revealed when you're at the lowest point of the valley, not necessarily on the top. It's when you've hit bottom that you might find out <clears throat> part of who you're supposed to be. Have you ever heard of a guy named Dave Reaver? Many, many of you know who Dave Reaver is. Dave Reaver, he, he, uh, he joined the Navy and he served as a, a riverboat gunner. And... Um, Eight months into his tour of duty, he was, he was uh, on, a, I think he was on a boat and he had this phosphorus grenade and he, he pulled back this phosphorus grenade and it exploded and it exploded in his hand on him. And so actually we have a picture of him. Yeah, that's, that's Dave. These are in his older years. Of course, this is the Vietnam War. And so that's quite a long time ago. And as you can see, it, it completely uh, had just devastated his body. And so he was wrecked. Um, but Dave then, he began this journey, right? He was hospitalized for 14 months and he underwent numerous surgeries, had very difficult, very difficult healing process. And then when he came out of it, God began to use that experience and use Dave. And so today, today Dave, he's a public speaker. He's internationally known. He's a gifted communicator. He speaks all over the place to public schools and military installations, businessmen's and youth conventions. Like he just speaks everywhere. And he's able to talk on um, loneliness and peer pressure and pain and the, the, the pain of disfigurement and healing and wondering where God is. He speaks all over the world to countless numbers of people because of one very difficult experience that God took and turned to use for is good and glory. I've seen the same thing happen in my life. When I was a young man, I was eight years old when my parents got divorced. And it was still today, I think, just the, just the worst thing that had happened to me in my life. And it was very, very difficult, very trying to have your parents split apart. And many of you, according to statistics, and many of you that I know personally, that's happened in you too. But it was very challenging for me. And as I grew older though, and knowing that I felt a call to student ministry uh, I was able to, all through those years of student ministry, to take the experiences I had as a young man and be able to relate to and encourage young men and young women who had experienced difficulties in their families and breakups with their parents. I was able to clearly and, 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 and with, with understanding and tact and wisdom to walk them through the same thing and see healing happen in their lives just like God has done in me. Many of you have similar things. You've had difficult things that have happened in your life. It doesn't mean automatically that your purpose is connected to it, but it's a good idea to pause and to open your eyes and ask, God, is this something that you wanna do? And regardless of whether or not it's connected to your overall purpose, there's no doubt about it that he can take that thing, whatever it is, and he can turn it and use it for his glory. Some of you are in the middle of it right now. And you're like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get out of it. He's never gonna be able to take this and use it for his glory. Oh, yes, he is. And even in the middle of it, you can be a shining example of faith and the presence of God and wisdom as you continue to walk through it, as he walks beside you and helps you. 
So I just want to encourage you to pause and think about those areas. Think about those moments. Think about those difficulties that you've experienced and ask him over the next several weeks, God, is this something that you want to do in me to help me discover who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do? Why don't you close your eyes and you guys come on up. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts, us, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves has received, have received from God. I want you to think about it this morning with your eyes closed. The pain and suffering that you've experienced in your life, is it overwhelming you? Is it undermining your life in God? Or are you today allowing God the opportunity to take it and to use it and to heal it and to show you your purpose in life?